Are you being emotionally blackmailed by your clients or colleagues? This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine, and nothing could be tougher than the emotional toil that sometimes our clients extract from us. Are you being blackmailed emotionally by your clients or colleagues? This week, we're going to jump into that seriously tough topic on the podcast. But before we do that, as always, I am your host, Dr. Ernie Ward. I'm Dr. Cindy Courtney. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And guys, let's just jump into it. I mean, how many of us have actually experienced this feeling where your client is totally pressing all the right buttons and twisting all the wrong forks and they're going, you love money more than you love my dog. If you really love my animal, you would do this for free or a hundred thousand different things. How many of you have felt that way? You know, I, it's so crazy. And I think a lot of us have been there in one form or another. And, and it's interesting to me just to think back on the different things clients try to black us, blackmail us with emotionally or what they think will be our triggers. Like I think most recently mine was a client who, you know, didn't want to have to run a heartworm test to get heartworm medication filled and, and right. said, you know, Hey, if I can't get this done here, I'm going to go somewhere else. And, and I hated to say it, but I said, well, I think that isn't going to be in the best interest of your pet. And sorry, we can't accommodate that. And if that's what you have to do, I guess that's what you have to do. So <laughs> yeah. sometimes the blackmail, I, I guess my thought is when does the blackmail work and when doesn't it? And how can we, how can we cope with it? Well, let's take a step back. Becky, what do we mean by emotional blackmail to begin with? Right. So to me, emotional blackmail is a situation that we find ourselves in, whether it's between a coworker and ourselves or a client and ourselves, in which they're basically leveraging whatever their needs are against our emotional stability. And so it's those things we hear, such as, you know, um, if you really loved animals, you would help my pet. If you if you really cared, you would do this for free. Um, you must hate animals. You don't care if my animal's going to die. And those really emotionally triggering statements we tend to hear. Uh, and those are obviously the extreme examples. And, and it makes me think of, too, there was, I guess there's this... Or- organization website, I don't know the best descriptor for it, called the Veterinary Abuse Network, where they actually specifically seek out to harass veterinarians. And they responded to the Washington Post article that recently came out about the increase in veterinary suicides. And essentially what they said is they said that, you know, hey, this is not a real thing. This is not something you should really be worried about. This is just bad vets being whiny. And I think that I see as a a pretty frequent theme is the idea that we're they're trying to define us that if we don't do x then we are a bad person a bad vet um and you know that that action defines who we are as a human being yeah and and becky i agree with you and cindy it's for me the definition is more of this uh, this negotiation tactic where you say you know what i'm not going to have like a sound argument so i'm going to attack you personally and they typically go at our most intimate and most vulnerable Spots, which for veterinarians is we got into this because we love animals. Therefore, if I attack your love of animals, then maybe I'll get my way. So it's it's a really it's a childish way to confront another human being, in my 
opinion. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it's so unfair because I think, you know, it's very clear that we do feel the exact opposite way. And and we almost are led to, I, I don't know, I guess when it works for me, I'm led to feel guilty that I have access to what they need, um, be it a skill or, or a medication. Um, and, and I think this is where we end up adopting pets. We don't necessarily need having animals signed over to the clinic running, you know, bills or tabs or, you know, I've even worked for veterinarians who, you know, would take literal objects as collateral for services that, you know, never actually came through with actual money. And so, you know, we know it works. And so I think that's part of the problem. And, and how do we, how do we get through that? And, and how do we get through saying no and building that boundary and not feeling incredibly guilty? Because no matter what they say, obviously these are really triggering statements. Right. Yeah. And, and I want you to, to also, if you're listening today and you've experienced what we're referring to, number one, it's not about you. Like this right. has no judgment. No, this is nothing about the veterinary or the veterinary technician involved with the situation. It is the guilt, the burden of guilt on that client. And they are yes. trying to transfer that to you. So you're, you're not the problem, you know? So just wanted to say that. And honestly, I, I think I've mentioned before in the podcast that I work in a relatively low income community. So I, I deal on a regular basis and I know, uh, er- Ernie, you did, yeah. you did as well. Um, I found that a lot of times the the clients who are most likely to be triggered, often it's when I find myself getting into that emotional space where I am maybe towing the line of getting a little judgmental myself. And the least judgmental I am of the client, the more solutions I give them, the more options I give them, the more I assume they really do want the best for their pet the less likely I am to find myself in that situation where the client turns around and says, if you really cared about my pet, you would do X, Y, or Z. Well, well Becky, a lot of times this tends to be focused on the veterinarian who is administering the help or withholding the medications or the treatment or whatever. But emotional blackmail by clients also extends to you, right? Yeah. So I think when I really began to experience emotional blackmail, most significantly and and most damaging um, is in the emergency environment. Um, I think in general practice, I, I just didn't really get exposed to it quite as much um, because we were able to often find some kind of solution over a long term time. But when we we're talking about, you know, twenty five hundred dollars now or your pet gets euthanized and even then you can't afford that. And, and how do we deal with that? You're telling me you have twenty dollars till your name till payday and your pet is laying there suffering on the table, we get into some really serious situations. And, you know, I think these are our colleagues in the profession who we see experiencing a whole lot of emotional, you know, uh, exhaustion because of these situations that come to play on a daily basis. And Becky, you already hinted at this, but I, I do want to explore further. You, you mentioned earlier that, hey, it's also a colleague issue. And what I have mm-hmm. witnessed firsthand and certainly have been told by countless numbers of veterinary support staff is that the boss, the associate veterinarian, then turns this very toxic way of communicating to their staff. So now they just got blessed out. They got blackmailed. They got assaulted, whatever, emotionally in the exam room, and they take it out on their staff. I mean, have you seen that as well? Yeah, because I think a lot of this is if you're uh, if you're tolerating emotional blackmail from your clients, like, you know, where Dr. Cindy was quick to say, like, OK, well, maybe you do need to go somewhere else, because obviously she's built a safe line, a safe boundary that says this isn't something I'm going to tolerate. And this isn't a way you're going to talk to me or treat me within this clinic. And so if you have 
you know, different preferences for care, then go to where that is the standard of care where you will feel the best. But when we allow it within the clinic, then I think it does transfer among our, our colleagues. And, you know, I, I feel like the time I see this the most is, is when it comes to taking any kind of personal care time. And that's where we get into these really ugly, nasty statements that are are really passive aggressive and, and emotionally blackmailing in terms of staying late. I wish somebody, you know, would stay late other than me. I've got kids too, or, oh, too bad. I don't have kids and I don't get to go home early. And that's where we really start to see these damaging statements. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, it's, a lot of it sounds like we're tying values to the the thing that we're talking about. And, and I always joke that my least favorite word in the world is the word should, because implicitly when we say so-and-so should do this, so-and-so should do that, we're, we're implying a judgment in that right. statement. And, and so nowadays, especially you guys know the story that when I was first in practice, I definitely took a lot of that stress and negativity and pressure that I was feeling as a new graduate veterinarian. And I turned that around on my team and I started using that word should as a way to catch myself before I dumped on the rest of my team and my colleagues to say, is this should real or what should, what should I be reconsidering and should I be questioning my assumptions here? Well, let's also extend this conversation to the virtual world. And something that I experience on a near daily basis through my social media outreach is basically people send me a message, a DM, whatever, you know, they, they send me a Facebook posting uh, and they say, my dog needs this. Can you help? And of course, I typically don't respond. Or if I do respond, it's like, hey, see your own veterinarian, right? Mm -hmm. At which point many of them then begin this emotional assault and they go, oh, if you really were America's pet advocate, then you'd help me out, you know? And, and, and so I'd like to, to hear you, your take this, uh, Cindy and Becky on the online extension of this. I mean, there are clients that never walk in our doors or they do once or twice. And yet then they take to Facebook and Instagram and Twitter to really bear down on us. Yeah. And, and so much of conflict has to do with expectations, right? And so I think it's interesting to look into what people's expectations are of us as veterinarians and that, you know, where are they getting this, this expectation that they can reach out and get advice on their pet at any time of the day? Um, and, and I think it's interesting to recognize where that's coming from um, so that we can better respond to it. And and to kind of set those boundaries for them. So to say in that message, like, hey, I know you can get advice from so-and-so or you can get advice from the pet store at any time of the day. Unfortunately, I'm legally bound to just give advice to people I have a veterinary client relationship with. Um, this is your best next resource. So kind of trying to, at least in those interactions, my, my go-to is always to kind of give people a way out. I almost think about it in terms of fear-free handling, right? We we have that dog who feels trapped in the corner of the room and they don't feel like they have anywhere to go. They're the animal who's most likely to to lash out and to bite. Um, and I feel like sometimes with, with those individuals, if we say, hey, here are some other options for you. And, and especially if I can give them more than one option, um, I, I tend to find that 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 has been more helpful on my end, but I, I'm sure I don't get the volume of 
contacts that you get, Dr. Ward. Well, well, Becky, what about veterinary technicians? I mean, obviously, we now are are back focused on the veterinarian, but are you guys feeling the heat online as well? Sure. I mean, I think it comes in all kinds of uh, forms for technicians and support staff within the clinic. I think a lot of times they're the ones that man social media throughout their clinic and, um, you know, for their practices. And so they might be on the front line, line of receiving some of the pushback there. Um, and, and then again, I think it happens within our own social networks. And so sometimes you look on these social media sites where there's groups and, and commonality members and, you know, um, they're having to be mediated through their conversations because of, of the way that we just talk and interact with each other. So I, I think it's kind of everywhere within our industry and, and we just kind of have to look out for our, again, what are your personal boundaries? I know a lot of veterinarians who are like, yeah, no, my clients have my personal cell phone number. I don't care if they call me on Sunday. That's the, the veterinarian I want to be. And then a lot of veterinarians who are, are not comfortable with that. And so, you know, it, it, but I, I think within the human health field, there's, there's probably very similar different aspects for, for one doctor to another. And, and we just have to help our clients understand that we can't be everything to everyone. And so if the needs of your client are not matching up with the needs of your boundaries, then we have to learn to be okay with saying no and not playing into that emotional blackmail and, and, and being okay with our boundaries. And I think too, sometimes we wait until that boundary has been breached to bring it up. So we wait until they've triggered that really emotional moment where they're really emotional, we're really emotional because they're emotionally blackmailing us instead of being really upfront about it before we get into that tight emotional spot. And I wonder sometimes if we could be a little bit better about being upfront with what those boundaries are um, individually or with our clinic, especially because we're finding ourselves in these situations frequently enough. Again, it's like, you know, having the, like your 80, 20% rule, right? Dr. Ward, like right. if we're finding ourselves in that situation really, really often. You need to look at yourself. Pre- yeah. yeah. Maybe we need to have a plan in place. <laughs> yeah. And I think you make a really valid point though, in terms of, of setting people up for success. And I think that plays back to what you're saying in terms of expectations, how much do we play into and ask what are our coworkers expectations of us? What are our clients expectations of us and of our visit? You know, we've had the conversation of, you know, we've had the podcast. Does it suck to be a client? Because I went to the vet and I, I really didn't enjoy my experience because my expectations were much higher. And so when they did things and took my pet out of the room and, you know, it, it just felt very isolating. You realize your expectations aren't being met, but at what point did you really convey them? Okay. And, and so now I, I want to also point out to the audience, there's, there's a couple of points of distinction that are important. Number one, we work in a emotionally charged environment. So yeah. tempers are going to flare. People are going to say things that they regret. For me, the difference between what we're discussing being emotionally blackmailed and just a, a bad moment is an apology. And so in my 25 plus years of practice, there've been plenty of really good people that have just said some highly inappropriate things to me uh, in the exam room in the heat of the moment. But the difference between those people and these people we're talking about is they call the next day or they stop by or they sent me a note and they said, listen, I, lo- I lost it. I'm sorry. So I think it's important to note that, hey, conflict is a normal part of human interaction. This is someone, in my opinion, who is deliberately trying to manipulate you through the use of your emotional volatility. I mean, Cindy, am, am I making sense there? 
Yeah. And I, I think too, we see those clients who not just are emotionally blackmailing us and kind of getting at our values and our sense of self-worth, but those folks who are in some sense, actually blackmailing us. Those Creepers. Folks who, yeah. Like people who are saying, well, I'm going to go and I'm going to cyber bully and I'm going to leave a really, I'm just going to blast you on social media, almost implying that they're going to be unfair unless we do what they want. Um, and, and sometimes this escalates in a very scary way. I mean, we see people who are not even, you know, we never saw them. They never came into the exam room and they're the ones leaving negative reviews. They're, you know, gathering other people to their cause. And, you know, it, it can be really, really challenging for people's mental health to be experiencing that kind of a backlash or to worry about the threat of that kind of backlash. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, you're right, because we take so much liberty with social media and how we're going to carry on conversation. And without that face to face contact, people are so quick to just really blow up different sides of the story. And, you know, one interesting thing I have seen is a lot of companies kind of no longer being super apologetic on social media. Instead, they're kind of weighing out their side of the story. And there are are more, um, you know, implications being put into place um, and repercussions being put into place for people who are are cyberbullying on a higher level because it's actually becoming that big of a problem. And, it, and I think it's an area we definitely need to be on top of. A lot of people say don't engage, but what's the right answer when you have a client who's being really explosive on, on social media? Well, and Becky, that's what I want to finalize this conversation about. I mean, so how, okay, you're listening today and you're going, yes, that happened to me. I'm raising my hand, you know, or, oh gosh, you should see this post that, that just went up on Instagram. Um, what are some of the coping mechanisms, Becky, that you recommend to your colleagues? Like, how do we get through this? How do we soldier on? We know it's going to happen. There are going to be some crappy people out there that do some just outrageous things, but how do you sleep at night? Well, again, I think it comes down to that 80-20 rule. I mean, 80% of the time, this should not be your life. And if it's your life on a daily basis, then you need to reevaluate the culture where you're at or your ability to set your boundaries and feel okay with them. You know, it's funny, we don't talk a whole lot on this podcast. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about the emotional impacts, um, but not exactly ways of, of getting out there. And, and I mean, there are a lot more counseling resources than there's ever been and outside resources for people than there's ever been that are, you know, even without health insurance, really obtainable. And, you know, we've talked about that in suicide awareness, but sometimes that needs to just be in place for people who are in an industry where these types of things are are part of your daily life. And so you've got to find those coping mechanisms. You've got to find help with processing it. But you also have to say, is this my, is this the the majority of my life or is this just once in a while? And and can I find ways to deal with it when it's just once in a while? Absolutely. And and I think if a practice is not being proactive about trying to help protect its team members from these clients, I would highly recommend they read a study that looked at the impact of rude feedback on NICU nurses. It was a simulated study, but um comparing two groups that had either gotten neutral feedback or feedback delivered in a really rude way, they found that their diagnostic and treatment abilities were significantly impaired when they received rude feedback. And we know that when people are under threat, they're less likely to reach out and help each other. So this isn't just something that's important for our own health, which sometimes seems to be hard to motivate us for, but it's something that's important for our patient's health too. 
And and to that exact point, you know, you need to be educated on how to use your social media. People are very quick to just set up accounts and not really understand the ways to control them and to control commenting and make sure that things are being filtered so that they don't get really inflammatory. And and it's the exact way to be protecting your your staff and your people in your circle who are going to be subject to to this. And, And again, that goes for your staff as well. Those really set in stone social media policies that they understand and sign and abide by. Yeah. And there are great resources out there with uh, Snout School and with the Social DVM where you can get resources about words that you can block from your Facebook page so that you can stay ahead of some of those <clears throat> kind of particularly nasty uh, interactions. And I think the the other pieces too, just understanding in our interactions with each other, how are we, you know, trying to keep those positive? What are we what standards are we trying to hold each other to? And are those fair? Are we recognizing that, you know, just like our bodies are prepared to handle toxins, we have kidneys, we have our, we have our liver. What processes do we have in place in the clinic to deal with the normal 20%, um, the normal, you know, uh, unusual negative things that can happen in a practice? Do we do emotional rounds? Do you debrief after something really hard emotionally that happens in your practice? Um, Do you focus on wellness of your team so that they have that emotional resilience to deal with that? Are they getting sleep? Are they staying too late? That kind of stuff. Yeah. And this stuff is real. Like if you're listening today and you're saying, oh gosh, this is just, you know, I can't deal with it anymore. And you guys are just saying, you know, be happy. We're actually saying that if you don't fortify yourself, your spirit, your, your, your mental capacity, you cannot survive these types of, of challenges. And I mean, this is about strength. This is about perseverance. And, and more importantly, it's about this emotional support network that you've got to start to, to really work on. And, and so, yes, you can, it sucks, man. I, you know, look, there are a lot of times I just have to sort of turn off the internet because it's like more hate coming my way or whatever. But the reality is, you know, I have a great group of people around me, friends and family and colleagues who, you know, help me get through this. And the other thing, if you're listening today, you gotta, like we keep saying, it's like, these are probably more rare instances than, you know, your normal every day. Think about all of the congratulations and thank yous that you get compared to the you're a jerks. Uh, and, and which leads me kind of to this other last thing I'd like to talk about, Cindy. And, and this is something that's starting to pop up in the news, but that that is when people take it a step further and it goes beyond words to actual physical actions. I mean, maybe yeah. you could talk around some of that. Yeah, actually. And actually I'll be speaking at WVZ about preventing violence. And, and there are some really great resources out there from OSHA because in the human medical field, nurses actually experience a really high degree of workplace violence because people end up in these really emotional situations. And sometimes they're physically impaired, mentally impaired, on drugs, all these other kinds of things. But we share some important risk factors with human medicine in that way. And so, um, and sometimes that's physical. Sometimes that can lead to stalking. um, If somebody is very, very upset about their pet and they're not uh, in a good place mentally, that, that can lead to some dangerous situations. And I think we should just know to not take those things lightly. I don't necessarily want us to panic, but recognize that if you feel like it's heading down that road, you're not alone. That is something that happens. Make sure to reach out for professional resources. 
Um, and when it comes to keeping people safe within our practices, there are some really common sense things that we can be doing. And again, having guidelines in place so that if somebody is coming into your clinic and they are making threats, you know how your clinic should be responding to that and how they should uh, be, be keeping themselves safe. Most daycare centers, they don't just have a fire evacuation plan. They also have a plan. God forbid somebody comes in intending violence for that team. Um, they know they know what they should do and your team should too. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I'm always going to lean right back into the owners and to the managers and the leaders yeah. of a practice. I mean, this is something you've got to be very sensitive to. You can't just make light of it. I mean, if somebody is bringing this up to you and say, gosh, you know, listen, man, people are just all over me about this picture I put up of this cat. You know, you got to sit down with them and talk through it. I mean, this is really, really important to support each other through this. Uh, one thing, you know, I have been critical. There are lots of online groups that just kind of tend to be like, as Becky started off the conversation, like whining boards. Uh, and I think that that's fine and that serves a purpose, but we've got to go to that next level and say, okay, you're complaining about this every day. How do we either A, change the behaviors and actions that are leading up to this consequence, or number two, how do you actually deal with that consequence? Because, you know, just whining about it doesn't really solve the problem. And I would argue it's not good for your long-term emotional health. Uh, Becky, sort of in closing, you know, again, bring it back home to the support staff because, you know, Cindy and I have sort of focused on us, the doctors, but, you know, this affects everybody in the clinic. Yeah, I think a lot of times we get that emotional front end or the emotional back end, right? We get the, we're the ones that maybe are going over the price estimate or we answer the phone call that somebody is calling because they need help and and maybe they can't even get there to us. It may start before they're even, um, you know, in the door with us there. So again, it's creating that culture of resilience and creating that culture where you say, these are our boundaries and, and we're okay with them, but when the hard things do happen, we know how to talk about them, face them and deal with them. And there's the absolute zero tolerance for any of that among the people who work here within their our daily lives because we have to support each other first and foremost. And you have to basically have each other's back on all levels and be working as a cohesive team. And, and that takes daily practice. It doesn't happen just out of nowhere. You have to work at that. Wow. We could go on and on about this highly sensitive and important topic but if you're feeling like you're being emotionally blackmailed by a client or a colleague seek help start to talk about it and ultimately find a solution you've heard what we have to say about this topic but we really want to hear from you what are your experiences with clients and emotional blackmail and and how have you gotten through it and what advice would you offer to your colleagues hit us up on social media because this is too important a topic to just keep to yourself what is the craziest threat that you've ever received? But more importantly, since we're not just venting, how did you deal with it? Who did you reach out to and how did you respond? How did you stay safe? Um, you can reach out to us on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder and on Twitter at Vet Veterinary Viewfinder. You can also leave us a review at iTunes. We'd love to hear what you think of the podcast, which topics are most relevant to you so we can keep making the podcast great. It also helps other veterinary professionals find the podcast and maybe even some clients who could hear this and learn <laughs> not to do that to us, maybe. So. Yeah. Put it on a loop in your lobby, in other yeah. words. <laughs> or don't, yeah, whatever works. <laughs> and don't forget to click to subscribe so you don't miss one great episode of the Veterinary Viewfinder. Until next time. Bye. 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 And you'll make us feel very sad if you don't listen. <laughs> we'll emotionally... No, just kidding. We love you all. Thank you for listening. 